going to be talking about seeing the need for church planning. This is a burden that's always been on my heart uh, and, and for the last several years. When we were planning this conference last year, um, or this year, really before this conference, I was with the pastor team, and we were just talking about the next seven-year cycle, what that looks like for HBF, and that ties in, obviously, to the next seven vision conferences. So we've divided up the uh, the conferences now by theater, and this year we're focusing on North America. And as I was looking at <clears throat> looking at North America, I realized, you know, we do not have as much influence right now in North America, Latin America, uh, than we did back in the early days. A lot of the missions work that were going on uh, were, uh, you know, have kind of ran their course. A lot of the missionaries have come off the field, whatever the case may be, indigenous people taking it over. Uh, not all bad things, some of the, for good reasons. But at the end of the day, I realized, man, Lord, thank you for leading me to this. And it brought me full circle uh, to the real issue at hand, which is the mission of HBF, the mission, uh, my personal call as well, to, you know, make disciples and make disciples that ultimately plant churches, right? That's ultimately why we're here uh, as a church as a whole is to reproduce churches. So uh, I'm just going to bounce off of Matthew 16, 18, and then we'll get into this outline real quick. And, I'll, and we'll get moving. But Matthew 16, 18, uh, you guys are, are familiar with this passage. Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. Peter, of course, confesses that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, in essence. And he says in verse 18, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a verse that's obviously perver- perverted by Rome, misunderstood by uh, Baptist writers. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of things that circulate around that. But at the end of the day, this this is really just telling us Jesus Christ will build His church. Uh, and of course, we know in Acts chapter two the church was quickened, and away we went. And so let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, I want to just talk to you some more about seeing the need uh, for church planning, uh, and 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 really the need to send and prepare people to go. And if you're an HBF person, especially, you need to pay attention to what we're talking about because this is what uh, I'm praying that God will continue to do in our church. We do not have the resources to do everything I'm asking God to do, but I'm trusting that God will continue to give us uh, the, the, the key people to go to key cities with the key message uh, by God's grace. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. What a great opportunity we have had this week already. Good messages yesterday, wonderful time of fellowship last night, and uh, incredible testimony. It was just It's just been sweet already. If we just stopped here... It would be it would be very profitable, and yet, Lord, there's more work to do. There's more vision to cast. There's more decisions to make. Uh, there's more clarity that needs to come uh, to our own personal lives. Decisions that have to be made, uh, Lord, in in our hearts and uh, and preparations, Lord, as well. And Lord, we need to trust you at every turn. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for uh, those that have come in. I thank you for for uh, Mike Blake and Jay Boffman, and uh, for having Sam Miles with us this morning. Thank you again for bringing. Uh, Tony and Lee last night. Lord, thank you, Lord, for uh, just uh, assembling uh, all the folks from our church and, and, and other churches that have come in for this. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to see the Maple City team minister to our children. And I pray, God, that the time that we have this morning would just be um, a time that, Lord, you would teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, it is good to have you all here this morning, and I appreciate uh, all the guys coming in. So this morning, I just want to present the need uh, for us to see support and send church plants. That's my task. 
and uh, and then and uh, then after I'm done, Sam's going to come up and actually tell us how to do it. So, but first we got to see the need uh, from the word. We got to see the need from the word. The purpose and the propagation, the power of church planning, uh, is found obviously in Christ. It's found in the word of God, and so. The only way to get the the, the, the job done is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I put several some information on your sheets. I'm not going to go through all of that in detail. I put that in there just as kind of a, a primer. You can go back and read that. But the bottom line is planting churches is fruitful, or is the fruit, I'm sorry, the Great Commission, the mandate of God's mission to the church of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, of which we're familiar with. And it is the global directive to accomplish God's mission strategically, simultaneously, and supernaturally which is a big value here at HBF. When we look at Acts 1-8, that's what we look at. We want to be able to accomplish this mission strategically. It's to be done simultaneously. So as we're here at this conference talking about reaching Jerusalem, right, and, and, and North America, it also in, entails Ireland. It entails uh, the uttermost parts of the earth. It entails Pradeep Lima. It entails everything that we're doing because church planning is the product of faithful discipleship. That's who we are. That's what we do. That is our DNA. And that has to be done supernaturally, especially when you're sitting out here in a cow field, right, in, in Cass County. Uh, it is bigger than us, and we have to trust the Lord uh, for that. But we also understand uh, with the good news, right, that the church was established by Jesus Christ, as we read in Matthew 16, 18. And he has provided for and sustained us from the first day until now. And we will, of course, rule and reign with him, according to Revelation 22:17. But there's also some bad news. Right, we've entered a hot LZ. When we got saved, we got quickened, we got brought into a battle and a and a fight uh, that that uh, we were born into. And so the church is opposed by Satan because the church is the visible representation of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. She is opposed by Satan as Eve was opposed in the garden. Right, so we know that the devil wants to beguile us, and Satan has a counterfeit church that resists the advance of God's mission at every turn. And so we need to be wise to that as well. All those involved in church planning, all those involved in church planning should understand the victorious end of the church as well as the resistance we will face from the adversary. Uh, those who enter this arena of church planning uh, with any other objective than the ones that are given from the Lord Jesus Christ and his word will soon find out the folly of such a foolish endeavor. You're not going to plan a church without facing serious resistance, especially if you're planning a Bible-believing, rightly dividing, dispensational, uh, you know, Holy Ghost uh, church, right? A church that is committed to the Word of God and the souls of men. Church planning should not be undertaken uh, for any other purpose than, purpose than to obey the mission of God and advance the kingdom of God for God's glory. So God didn't call his disciples to build buildings or create social societies uh, there are a multitude of resources on church planning, and some deal with the mission, and, all, and all, almost all of them deal with methodology. But most, most of them are, you know, they're good, they're worth reading, especially if you're a church planner. Read everything you can and glean what you can and, you know, chew the meat and spit out all the bones. But at the end of the day, the only place that we can gather our theology for church planning is the Word of God, and that is what we are here to do today. So discipleship and church planning cannot be disconnected. When I came here, there wasn't as much resources on church planning um, as there are today uh, because <clears throat> there just wasn't. You know, I was reading Rick Warren's book on purpose-driven church and all these other things. Uh, but I don't know, uh, you church planners in the house, I don't, I don't know that there's a book on how to plan a church with the methodology of discipleship other than the one that you have in your hand, the Bible, 
right? And so that's what we do. Uh, I wasn't smart enough. I was even challenged by a friend of mine who was planting a church in a, one of our big suburbs here. And I'm sitting in his office and I'm, and, and, and I'm, I'm looking at his, his, all his methodologies and he's very, very good, very sharp guy. And I'm sitting in his office and I'm, and I'm going through all of his stuff and his leadership, this and his, his church really marketing that and doing all of these tricks of the trade to get people to come and assimilate and all of those things. And so I said, Hey, uh, how does that work with discipleship? And he's like, oh, discipleship. That's a shtick. I was like, a shtick? I mean, it rocked my world. I highly respected this brother. He's a friend of mine still. Uh, I was like, it's a shtick. What are you talking about? I, said, I mean, I was, just, I was shocked that someone that was with me in the ministry that was discipled and brought up in our ministry, just like here at HBF, you know, through the discipleship process, HBI, I mean, the whole shooting match would say discipleship's a shtick. How can that be? Never even occurred to me that that could be. So I, I had to go out. I sat in my old white Ford pickup, Mike Blake's old white Ford pickup, and I sat, I sat in that parking lot, and I just sat there, man. I'm like, is discipleship a shtick? You know? And I'm like, well, let's run through the Bible. You know? Well, Jesus is the one who started this shtick. Uh, and then Paul says, faithful men teach other. Okay, uh, No. Discipleship is not a shtick. This is, this is the mission, right? Let's go back to Matthew, you know, 28. We get it. This is the mission. There's no shtick to it. This is either going to work for you or it's not. And that's really the key uh, to discipleship from the first day until the last day, right? Discipleship, following Christ, you don't turn out, right, until, uh, you, uh, you know, you get to the place where you're mature and you've got the four goals established. And of course, you know, the seven stages of spiritual growth and and uh, there's that proving and that process. There is a point there where discipleship comes to a conclusion where you are now responsible to carry forth the mission. There's a, a point of maturity where you are now like a journeyman. doesn't mean you know everything you need to know, but you know enough that you're responsible. Then you've got to carry it forward. Uh, and you've got to do some work. We just talked about this yesterday, multiple occasions. Brian did an awesome job of setting that up. I mean, you can't do somewhere else what you're not doing here. And so, and so discipleship is not a shtick. It cannot be disconnected. Ephesians 2 verse 20 tells us that, and, and, and ye are, are built, right? You're edified up. You're built up upon the fountain, or upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building is fitly framed together, growth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So point B, there must be a biblical vision as well, right? We know in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So that passage in Proverbs 29 that we're all familiar with, it, that verse is dealing with correcting our sons in the verse before it and, and then correcting our servants in the verse following it. So we, both, we are both of those things, right? In First John chapter 3, we are sons of God, but we're also Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, also lets us know that even though we're heirs, we differ nothing from a servant, though we be Lord of all, right? So we are sons and we are servants, and it is important that we have vision and understand what the Father wants in regard to his will regarding church planting. And so we carry forth the mission. God gives us these reminders like the Lord's Supper and baptism. So we understand it's so simple. You can't miss this. You lead people to Christ. You follow these ordinances. You baptize them. And as the congregation grows, you remind them of what this is all about, is bringing these disciples to a point of sacrifice. Because ultimately, you're going to have to die just like Jesus had to die for the sake of others who won't even love you. If you're going to be a church planner, that's what you got to be ready for. 
right? You got to preach the gospel. You got to get people gathered. You got to remind them of who Jesus is. And then you got to live it out yourself. And that includes dying. Every one of those disciples became apostles. Those apostles other than John all died, literally, following Jesus Christ. Now, whether we're called to physically die or not, God calls us to die daily, and Paul set that forth. So the church is unique in that she is, uh, and she was, and is, the mystery, right? Hit through the ages until her manifestation in Acts chapter, chapter 2 and the subsequent revelation of the New Testament revealed by Jesus Christ through the apostles and through that ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, now there will be, there's going to be no vision Without discipleship, Second Timothy two two, we are all we all know that verse by heart. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Now, as you look at that verse, you know that verse like by heart. I bet there's hardly anyone in here that doesn't know that verse. All of our churches that are involved in discipleship, we know the verse. But I want you to think about this in regards to church planning. And this is really where I'm at at Heartland. And this is the challenge I have. It's not just to get information out. It's to get transformation accomplished. And the key word I want to focus on this morning in that passage is is there toward the end. One, two, three, four, fifth word before the end. Able. 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 Right? You've got to have people who are able. It's true that God equips the called and doesn't call the equipped. We always hear that. But nevertheless, we need to understand that God is not looking for willing men. He's looking for able men when it comes to this business of, of reproducing Christ and others at, at the level of leadership that we need. If, if you are not able, you're not stable. Right? You've got to be stable to be able. Right? Those go hand in hand. That's why we are sta- established in the word. We are established in the word. We establish our churches upon the word of God. He is the foundation. The word of God is the foundation for everything that we do. Because if we are not sending stable men, they're not able men. Right? And in a world of instability, man, this is the greatest time I can imagine to plant churches because that's lacking in our culture in, all around the world. It's not just in North America. It's all over the planet. We need stable men who are able men, and man, that is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Because that's what, that is not very popular right now. That is not what, that's not what's on the menu. Is stable and able men. But when it comes to this process of making disciples in the local church, it's not just about making stable, able men so you can grow your ministry right here, right? The whole end game is to, is to take those men and replant them among other people's whether it's in North America or another place in the world, that's up to the Lord Jesus. But there should be some strategy to that. There should be something going on supernaturally, and it should be strategic, right? There's some there's some things that are going on, and it has to happen simultaneously. So all of those things that, that are based in Acts 1-8 have to happen, but we've got to have the men that are able, able to do this, right? We can talk all day about the things, and we like to do that, and I like to do that, and we should do that. The things are important. The things that we've been committed. We got, we got a whole lineup of, we got years of curriculum to give you all the things. But at the end of the day, you gotta be able. And if you're not able, it's because you're not stable. And, and that's a big deal. You gotta be established in the Word of God. It's gotta be, it's gotta be like, you're standing, Ephesians chapter 6. You guys understand all these concepts. So we cannot send church, a church planter to Nevada, Missouri. Or Joplin, Joplin, Missouri, or Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or any of these key places. I was just up in St. Joe this week, and I'm thinking, man, this place is a, it needs a church. 
You know, I mean, I, I could just go all over the Midwest. I don't even have to leave Missouri before I'm looking at places that we could we could not just a church, but I'm talking a church like like we have in our Living Faith Fellowship, among our group of uh, our church of uh, our relationship of churches that we have. I mean, people that are committed to a, a faith-based view of the Word of God, discipleship, and understand the mission, and are willing to accomplish that. Who at HBF is stewarding the mysteries of Christ as they've been taught and able to reproduce that in others? Who is counted faithful here? If you're counted faithful here, then you are a candidate to go there. I needed to hear that. I wish I had heard someone say it that clearly when I was a younger man. But that's ultimately what you need to know. If you're a young man and you're like I was and you're not willing to verbalize that calling, but you know in your heart God's called you and you're wondering, what's it going to take to get me there? Because I still don't because my wife doesn't believe it yet and my grandma don't believe it yet. But but I know in my heart I'm called. Man, you need to you need to get that down, man. You've got to understand that God wants to reproduce in you some things that you can work out right here as you've been taught. And when you're stable here, then God will get you ready to go there. But you will be doing here what you're going to be doing there, just like Brian said last night. So church planning starts with the pastor's vision to fulfill the Great Commission <coughs> through discipleship. So you guys know where I landed, obviously. Right? Uh, it is not a shtick. The vision of discipleship cannot be limited to reproducing individuals. It has to grow into reproducing churches. And, uh, you know, I would submit that a church planner should start with with that vision or he'll not order his church in a way that will fulfill the Great Commission. I'll rewind that and say that twice. So I believe that if you are a church planter and you're not looking at planting your church to plant churches, you won't order your church in a way that will be able to plant churches. Ergo, you will not fulfill the Great Commission and you will be playing church, which a lot of churches are doing in America. It's nickels and noses, man. And success is not measured by the standard that we will give account at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's really what puts the fear of God in me. Is like, I'm going to be given an account for what I'm doing with the time, the, the talent, and the treasure that God has given. Not just me, but this group of people collectively. So church planning, is, it, starts with, it does start with me, and, it'll, and I'll, be, I'll be held accountable. That's why I wanted to kick this off today, because I'm really, I'm just sharing my heart. In the next seven years, I'd like to see God use HBF to plan or partner in planning a strategic church plans in the United States and the world if the Lord tarries. Now, I know I may not get done before Jesus comes. I'm, I'm, all, I'm about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And I recognize that there's probably not going to be some awesome revival. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter, right? You go forward in faith and you accomplish the mission of God regardless because it glorifies God. And that's what we do. Okay, so point C, church planners must be flexible. Now, I want to just take a moment and, and, and look at this a little deeper Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. You guys know the, the, the context here. Paul himself is the, I mean, talk about church planter guy. He's the, he's the man. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. You get it all. So he's, he's wanting to, he's wanting to accomplish God's mission. He's just like you. If you're a pastor in here, he's just like you. He's just like me. Uh, maybe more so, right? He's, he's on a mission. He knows the mission. He knows what he's supposed to do. Uh, let's pick up the text. Acts chapter 16, if you got your Bible. In verse 6, now, when he had gone through uh, Phrygia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. 
And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, Donia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now what we see here is that Paul was, Paul was, he, he trained Timothy, sorry, Paul trained Timothy while he planted. He takes Timothy with him, with him and Silas. Paul picked up his disciple Timothy in Lystra and headed on with Silas to propagate the gospel in what he thought was Asia, right? So, so what does that mean? Timothy was able to be with, with uh, Paul in a time of indecisiveness, a time of uncertainty. His disciples were able to watch him go through uncertainty. How many of you ever watched your pastor go through uncertainty? I, I mean, I watched before I was out. I, I watched my pastor go through difficult seasons. I wasn't up close and personal like I would have probably liked to have been. But even from a distance, I learned a lot. And it helped me a lot. When difficulties come in my life as a pastor, I watch that and I'm like, man, I know some of us pastors in this room, you've gone through some difficulties and uncertainties. And it may feel like you're a failure. But you're not. As long as you keep discipling. Because you know what? There's people watching you. They're observing your life and they're seeing how you continue on in the mission when the doors are being slammed in your face and things aren't going the way you intended. You know, Paul didn't get discouraged. He didn't quit. He kept going. Right? Uh, there, there was a, you know, he, he took Timothy with him uh, to propagate the gospel in Asia. But, but when he went to Bithynia, God said no. When he wanted to go to Troas, God said no. And, of course, we know that God gave him the Macedonian vision. And I'm glad Paul didn't quit fulfilling the Great Commission because his plans were changed by God. Men who are called have to be flexible. You know, I was certain um, 22, 3, 4 years ago, whenever it was now, that God called me to Pennsylvania. I mean, I not only, I was certain because it was it was verified. I mean, it was confirmed. We use the word confirmation, right? God confirmed it with different things, and he did. I was called to Pennsylvania for a season for God to shut the door. And, I mean, he opened a door, and then he slammed it shut. And, man, I, I was homeless. I remember, I remember sitting in the back of Jim Lee's car up at, up at, uh, up at Cracker Barrel, up on I-70 there in, in 39th Street, and, uh, or uh, Lee Summit Road. He's like, you know how Jim Lee can get in your grill with his big old bug eyes. You know, what's God doing in your life or whatever? I'm like, bro. I feel like I'm homeless. I have no idea what I, I I'm all trained. I'm re, I feel like I'm a I'm a, a paratrooper with no battle to fight. I don't know where I'm going. And it wasn't long after that, that that Mark McGoy said, "Hey Brian, just go down to Harrisonville." And and Harold Hatman has this Bible study. Just just take that on for a while, and then when something else opens up, you'll be ready, and we'll send you there. That's how we started, and here we are. <laughs> you know. And so it's just a matter of just like going, God, where do you want me? Where's the open door? And sometime later, after after Mark asked me to pray about coming and planting the church because people got saved, I uh, was just actually at the soccer game uh, this weekend or last Friday night, and one of the guys, one of the first fruits of Heartland, he's not in our church, but he's not in a church. He needs to be, but I do believe he got saved. Uh, his name's Derek. He's sitting right there a few feet from me, and we're talking. And I'm like, man, Lord, that's some of the first fruit of HBF. And I'm thinking about those days, but we had to, we had to do something. I'm like, okay, so Mark, we're going to either need to have a church plant because people are getting saved, or we're going to need to hand these folks off to another local church. Let's do a church partnership. And we say, you know, we assess the region and said, okay, we're not going to do a partnership. Uh, so let's just plant. 
And then I come back six months later, and he's like, now, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, the verse that, that he gave us yesterday, I put my hand to the plow, Mark. I'm not turning back. And then here we are, 20-some years later. God will shut doors, man. It's you got to be flexible. You may think you're going here, and then God turns around. You know, Randy Foster was in Zambia. Randy was with us literally the day my son, the day after my son was born. Randy and Julie were on deputation in Lubbock. I never had, we had no idea we'd be partnered in ministry. And here we are, 20 some years later. God directs our paths, right? He gets us where he needs to go so we can accomplish his mission. So, uh, I gotta keep moving here. So Paul had, he had to work with the opportunities God provided. In verse 11, it goes on to say, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course, uh, to Samothra, uh, Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city aiding certain day, uh, abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where uh, Chris Farley was. No, I just didn't. So where, where prayer was, to, was want to be made. Sorry, I got a little carnal. <clears throat> and, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And certain women named Lydia, a certain woman, I'm sorry, named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose, uh, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Paul was strategic in his location. Philippi was the chief city of that part of Macedonia, the region of the world where uh, Alexander the Great had come from. He had risen to conquer the Gentile world, you know, over three centuries before. And, and now Paul was starting a Bible study right there in the heart of that region. And, uh, and there was no, obviously there was not enough men to assemble a synagogue. Uh, they had rules for that among the Jews. So Paul did, did, he did what he was commanded. He preached the gospel and he baptized and he made disciples with the fruit that God had given him. So, a church planner, right? They have to just work with the opportunities that God provides them. They may not be ideal. They may not be, you know, what everybody wants in a letter, but that is what you got to work with. Point D, church planners must be patient, right? Uh, I'm not going to read all of that from verse 16 through 40, but you know what happens, right? Paul ends up getting arrested and he's put in jail and he's, and he's hard. He's stuck, right? He's, he's, he's <clears throat> shoved into the center of that jail. In, uh, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 16, uh, the Philippian jailer uh, puts he and Silas in there, and, and they're in trouble. But, of course, their disposition is not that of those in trouble. And, and Paul may have recognized the jailer from his dream. Perhaps that is the Macedonian man. Maybe when he saw that Philippian jailer, he realized, aha, this is the key man in a key city. I don't know. That's speculation on my part. But we know this. It wasn't easy circumstances. They beat them. They thrust them in the prison. They, they, they locked them down, shackled them down. I mean, they were held fast in there, and they started singing. They were free in their soul, but their bodies were limited. You know, even today, our church planning could end up in that situation, by the way, as things change. So Paul, so, so, so Paul and Silas, they refused to allow difficult circumstances to detour their mission. Paul and Silas saw supernatural results in the lives of those they were called to reach as well. And, you know, you remember those God stories uh, that God does when, you, when you're in the, in the business of ministry, and you're, especially when you're pioneering a work. I still look fondly. I saw Joe, Joe Schaefer was here yesterday. 
and Shane Watts. And in my heart, I thought, man, that's cool. They don't know this, but I'm going to be talking about them tomorrow. One of the God stories that I could remember was when, oh, it's Cammie's here. She can verify this is a true story. So when Shane Watts got saved, he was a criminal, of course. Um, and uh, Joe Schaefer uh, had just gotten saved. I mean, like that VBS, I remember he got saved. And so Joe comes to church in his uni and he says, hey, man, you need to watch this guy. Like I fought with him like a beast over here whatever they call it, bear claw, wherever that meth hangout is over here. And he's like, we, and, and Shane verified that. Yeah, they hated each other. Like, I mean, they literally fought. Blood. We're talking fighting. And now here we got this guy saved. I got this cop saying, hey, man. Okay, fast forward the tape. Shane, after, after some rehab, he comes back, and the first day he comes in, Joe's like, hey, man, we got a warrant on him. And I'm like, do what you got to do. So they parked the the car. How many of you remember this when Shane got a yeah got arrested at church, and uh, and so after church it was very discreet. Thank God, thank, uh, thank you, Cass County Sheriff Department for real. They could have just came in and took him out. They were very respectful of Heartland, and they discreetly took him away. And Shane, very uh, by the way, politely handed me his Bible, and was submissive to the powers that be. Went through a difficult season there at the jail, but got through it. Comes out. This is the moral of the story. I'll never forget this part. This is the, the get to the, the, the cut to the chase. When I we were at Antioch on a Sunday night, guess who got baptized? You know, Joe Schaefer and Shane Watts. You know, that's a, that's a trophy of grace. You know, I mean, that's just Jesus. There's, there's it wasn't because I had a great church planning plan and I could you know, it's not because I planned it. It wasn't because I no. That's just God saying, hey Brian. I'm doing some work here. I'm glad you showed up, you know. And uh, and then, of course, they became friends. They're, they're, they're friends of this day. Like, they're, they're buddies. Now, how does that happen? It's just how it happens in Acts 16. It's not much different. God does that. And he, and he saves people, and he redeems their life, and, and he gives you these God stories so that you can continue on and be patient because it's painful at times to see the fruit produced. All the ladies said, Amen. Right? It is painful to bear fruit. You've got to endure some labor. You've got to endure some hardness. You've got to endure some pain. But at the end of the day, it's worth it when you see the fruit, man. And here I am, I don't know, nine, well, Shane told me he was here last night. He said it'll be, it'll be 20 years since he and uh, Gene Pertle prayed up here at Applebee's after our first or second vision conference. I think it was our first vision conference. You know, the Muppets are going on up at the front. You know, that was our entertainment. We had the, the Balkans doing the Muppet show, the, the puppet show. You think, oh, it wasn't the preaching of Gene Pirtle, right? It wasn't Brian Clark's preaching. It was the, it was the puppet show. It was, it really was the puppet show that, that just broke his heart. And we went up to Applebee's and he asked Christ into his heart right up here at Applebee's. I'll never forget that. Gene Pirtle led him to Christ. It was outstanding. All right. I gotta keep going. So, pointy, church planners must be selfless. I promise you, uh, it hurt to be thrust into the inner prison, to be held fast in the stocks, and to be held illegally, right? He was not legally held. Yet he allowed all that to happen and waited to use his Roman citizenship until it benefited the jailer and his family and the church at Philippi, right? He was self, Paul was selfless. He could have pulled the Roman card right off the bat. He could have complained, this isn't fair. The Biden administration is persecuting me. Or the Trump, whichever one you want. I don't don't want to get partisan here. 
But he didn't. He just like he kept that in his pocket until such a time as it didn't benefit him. It benefited the jailer who should have been executed because he didn't keep his prisoners. Right? He was selfless. If you're going to be a church planner, you got to be selfless. Now, the cool thing that happened here. So he comes into this situation. It's not ideal. He starts with a lady down by the river and 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 all of those things that we've talked about. And he ends up, by the time you get to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. It it took. That church plant took. It took. There were bishops and deacons. There's multiple leadership. There's leadership structure at Philippi. There are men. The first man that we know of is Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. That is what happens when we go to plant churches. You gotta have that vision, man. You gotta see, you gotta see it biblically. You gotta, you gotta be able to see in the Bible that preaching the word of God does not return void. Even when everything, not everything goes right, you're not gonna have ideal circumstances if you're planting a church. You're gonna run into all kinds of obstacles. And you gotta stay faithful. You cannot quit. And you gotta be selfless. You gotta be patient. Alright, point two. We also gotta see the need in the world. First Samuel chapter 17. You guys know the story of David. David's down there getting ready for that battle and he says, hey, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? As his brother Eliab is saying, get out of here, you punk kid. You, what are you doing here? Right? That's kind of what Brian was testifying to in Ireland. They're like, uh, man, you don't even need to come to this graveyard. It's like when we sent uh, Harold down to Canoas. Uh, it's like, this is a missionary graveyard. Don't even come here. It just write them off, send them out to hell. Right? I mean, that's in essence what they're saying. You know, we got to see the needs statistically. I'm not going to take too much time on this, but I got a few few pictures for you. Um, I got a lot I was going to say here. I'm going to skip to the chase. In 1900, there 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 were, you know, 500. There was one Bible-believing church for every 500 people in the USA. I got these stats from uh, the American Research Project by David Olson. So, that's a lot. I mean, that's 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 not bad. There was. Every 500 people. It's a lot of churches per capita. Today it's estimated that there's one church that uses the King James among every 50,000 people. In the USA, every year 4,000 churches close. Um, Now there are statistics that say more open, so maybe it's, it's a wash. But in the UK, the numbers are even worse. And for every church that closes, a mosque opens. Dr. David Gibbs says that that the USA has become the 18th Missionary sending nation of the world, and that is all depending on how you you measure that. And of course, we do lose ground to the cults, but more specifically, a little closer to home, Kansas City is among the top twenty cities in America um, that have with the well, it's twenty percent of the population in Kansas City have no religious affiliation at all. We're talking we talk about unchurched people. Now, I don't know if that's just Kansas City proper or the metro, so I just took the numbers. If you took that to the metro and you just use that times, you know, 2 million, which is our metro, that would be there's – there's almost half a million people in the Kansas City area, if that extrapolates out, that are just, like, ambivalent. They don't even – they don't have any affiliation with nothing. They're just lost with a capital L. I thought, man, there's a lot of work to do right here in Kansas City. And when you look at the stats um, – it's it's interesting because Kansas City appears there. St. Louis is, I believe, number uh, 17. I can't see it in my notes because my eyes are dim. You got one of the key cities that we help partner with is Living Faith Boston. Boston is interesting. It's a strange anomaly. 
it's super high in people who are unaffiliated, and it's also super high in the amount of churches per capita. They have a lot of churches, but nobody wants to go. <laughs> Interesting. They have a lot of people who will go to church, but nobody wants, or they got a lot of availability to go, but nobody wants to go. That's an interesting statistic. There's just a lot of things as you as you look at that. Now, I don't. I, years ago, I was studying this out, and I realized that among cities that are warm to the gospel, that would be Springfield, Missouri. No, no doubt. I mean, how many more churches can you add to a city? I don't know. But you don't have to go very far into into Iowa, and it's not this year. It goes up and down. But this is several years ago. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, was the coldest rated the coldest city. To the Bible in the United States. It was like right up there with the northeast part of the United States. You know, it's interesting. What's right between all of that? Well, we are. The hot and the we're just like Laodicea, man. I mean, it's crazy. And I think it is important. I think it's a picture. It is cold to the north and northeast and not just in the temper temperature. <clears throat> it's easy to go to Nevada and plant a church. You're probably going to be successful. Might be a lot harder to go to St. Joe. Might be harder to go to Des Moines. It'd definitely be harder to go to Cedar Rapids. I can't even get a direct flight to Cedar Rapids. I've looked it up. It can't, it's even hard for me to get there. But you guys can get there pretty quick. You're not too far from that area. I'm just saying these are things that I look at. I look at the statistics. I mean, it is important to just, if we're going to be strategic, to look at statistics. What is the state of the, of the people? But we also got to see the need spiritually, not just statistically. The spiritual and the moral fabric of our nation, of course, is, is, is being decimated. Why is that? Well, we know why, because the Bible's told us. Colossians chapter 2. Many are beguiled. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. The Bible lays it out for us. I'm not, for time's sake, I'm just going to quickly skip over this, but many are beguiled. Kansas City is home to some of the most wicked cults in the world. I mean, the Mormons, uh, are here, the, uh, you got IHOP up the street. I got, I mean, we got, we got churches in our community right here where we live. They're like flying the IHOP flag, you know, and, and those dudes believe in, um, extra biblical revelation. I'm not like making that up. I had people bring me CDs. These guys are saying stuff like, like it is the word of God. God showed me this. God showed me that. I went to hell and fought the devil. I mean, they think they're Carmen or something. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're out of your cotton picking mind. Right here where we live, Colossians 2, 2 through 3, many are beguiled with enticing words of man's wisdom. And many don't believe that they have the words of God. The preserved English Bible, of course, that's all over the place because of scholasticism, man's wisdom. Colossians 2, 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. All you get in, in science and culture is is... Philo's allegorical, mystical view of Scripture today. Every new translation on the market employs and embodies these very warnings. They are the embodiment of the warnings of Colossians 2.8. And you know what? Most churches, most pastors don't even understand that. So why, is, why, is, why are things in such bad shape? Because we are living these warnings. We are, we're living under that. I mean, we're, we're, we're like embo- the church is embracing it. It's ridiculous. Colossians 2.16, legalism kills, right? That's the, now that, you can, we can, and us Bible believers, like, we'll point out the Bible, but man, legalism, we don't like to, we, we've had some problems there. We gotta own that one. 
Colossians two sixteen through 17 Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of a holy day or a new moon or the Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Faith in the word of God, not obedience to the rule of men, is what God must find in our churches. There are as many popes and Baptist pulpits as there are at the Vatican, for sure. And then Colossians 2.18, you know, we can also venerate men. That'll destroy us. We can't lift these guys up. Guys, just don't do that to me either. Man, do not make us idols. Do not make your preachers idols. They're just men. They're just called to accomplish the mission. And pastors, don't get caught up in all that. Venerating men will destroy us. Don't exchange the true riches uh, for the doctrine of devils. We've seen that creep into our circles. Men who once held fast to the faithful word and ran a good race are beguiled by deceitful doctrines and works that promote mystical religious systems and ancient doctrines of devils and not after Christ and his sufficiency. You didn't have to come to them for the mystical Gnostic understanding, the mysterious gut level understanding of how to solve your counseling problems. Why? Because we've replaced the Bible with men and doctrines of devils on top of it. Colossians 2.18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding to those things which you have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. Pastors, we've got to check our philosophies at the door and go with the word of God. Jesus Christ is the head. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth, First Timothy three fourteen through 16 says. And the longer the Lord tarries his coming uh, the, the, the church for his church, the more the, the deity of Christ and the mystery of godliness will be attacked. Ultimately, this world will follow the man of sin. That's no accident. I mean, the devil knows what he's doing. And people will worship him, and they will be beguiled from the simplicity that's in Christ. That's all on the table. But it shouldn't be on our table. We should not think of ourselves higher than we ought. We, ought to have, we have the responsibility to pass on to the next generation what God has given to us <clears throat> and so that we can continue to reproduce faithful men who are able to reproduce that in others also. So point C, seeing the need in our society is so, also so important. In Genesis 1.28, you guys know the mission is to be fruitful, multiply, replenish. And then there's one last thing, subdue it. Genesis chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. There's no subduing there, though he does get the command to, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and all of that. But at the end of the day, what we do should be transforming society, at least in our congregations. I just had a good talk with the Weimars about how, the, how, how they feel about being at Heartland and we were just talking about how important it is that the, the church, the local church, the churches that we plant, they ought to be different. Not, not like crazy different because we dress weird. But I'm saying people ought to walk into our churches and know, wow, these people are stable. Not that everybody coming in is stable, but they ought to know that there is a sure word. There is an authority, and it is God. He is the head. This is his body. We observe the ordinances. We do what the Bible tells us to do decently and in order. There is structure that God ordained. Man, in a lawless Crazy, wayward society, beloved. I can't imagine a better place that would be attractive to a lot of people, even young people, when everything else is falling apart around them. The church should be, man, we should, we should stick out like a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. 
and shine brightly until Jesus comes. Well, there's more I'd like to say about that, but I'm going to finish up here because I'm over time. Let's just quickly run through the last part of this outline. Let's talk about supporting the work of church planning. If Paul wasn't planning a church, he was supporting a church. If Paul wasn't planning a church, he was supporting a church. Right? If Paul wasn't planning a church, he was supporting a church. Paul stayed in Ephesus, and, and we surmise that his time was spent there teaching in the school of Tyrannus and sending men two by two to preach where? In Asia Minor, where they planted, I believe, seven churches, which are written to in Revelation. In Acts 19.9, the Bible says, But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. And, and this continued by the pace of two years, so that all they that which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greeks. I'm so glad that Paul chose to support the church when he wasn't planting the church, because those are the letters that we have in our New Testament. Right? There's seasons where you, like right now at Heartland, I, I don't know how much we can muster to plant. If we, want, if we just wanted to muster our own efforts in our, in our own group of people, um, and we had a church plant happen tomorrow, we might hemorrhage out. It might really hurt us so much we may not recover, right? And so there's, you, there's seasons to give birth in a church for sure, and we've been through those, and we know what it feels like to give birth and feel it. We know what it's like to give birth and not feel it. I mean, there's some births are easier than others. But at the end of the day, man, when we, if, even if you're not planting, you should be supporting church plants for sure. Every one of the local churches... Uh, Every every one of our local churches discipleship process includes Bible Institute to complete the seventh and eighth stage of spiritual growth. Eighth stage for those of you that don't know, I, I've thrown on top of it, which is the reproduction of a local church. There are some people who are called to this. Right? It's, it, world vision and mission means I am going to reproduce this somewhere else. And and so that's when you're looking at more uh, corporately and not just on a individual level of spiritual growth now it's a corporate level a local church level all right so some are called to that not everybody but some are and all of our churches here that are represented i'm talking about the pastors our guest pastors every one of us have an institute level training to top off our discipleship to really equip and send people every one of us because we're down with this we believe this but even if your church isn't able to send you definitely and i should definitely be supporting you're gonna hear testimony of that here in just a little bit even if our members are not going out to lead churches, they should be able to support them. And before we plan a church, we often support a church, by the way. That's even part of the process of preparing to plant. Pastor-level teaching on mission trips in the USA and abroad, circuit writing ministry, which we're doing right now, local church ministry leadership, supporting church plants, seed plants like we had in KCK or, or, or New Life in Clinton, supporting works like Mike Renault in Boston, laying the groundwork for discipleship of pastors and church planting in Orissa, India, helping Rotten. In, in Jaigao, India. There's so many opportunities. Point two, supporting church planting through supporting the local church. See, we're not going to do in another church what we're not doing in the sending church. So if you don't make disciples in your own church, you won't make them in another church. And if we're not opening the Bible and leading others in study in our church, we're not going to be prepared to do that in a church planting context. So God will prepare the planner through the ministry of the local church. If we have made any mistakes in the past, it's not in hearing uh, closer to our missionary pathway. If you want to be a missionary out of HBF, you do need to see myself and Randy Foster. And some of you have, but we have a missionary pathway. In addition to all the discipleship training, it, this is designed to help you be able. 
We did all this owning the mission discussion last year at the conference. Own the mission, own the mission. If you really want to own the mission, in addition to being discipled through our, our structure, you need, to, you need to get with Pastor Randy and get on the missionary pathway because there's even more. And I'm trying, we're not trying to put hoops in your way. That's actually not to, to, to slow you down. It's to equip you so you'll be better, uh, you'll be more useful when you do go out. The next time we send a church planner, I'd like to see them send a, a, a season, spend a season working with me in the office or on projects as a parallel partner in even some of our churches. There's some things I think we could improve on next time around. We're learning as we go. But I'll digress and get finished. Sending church planners is the last point, and this will be quick. We need men who can establish seed plants. You're going to grow it. That's the first step. When I came to Harrisonville, I did not know there would be this. I had no idea. Actually, this exceeds in my vision. I planned on having a storefront church, uh, platooning my my disciples up to KC for uh, Shepherd School of Ministry cause, and try to teach a class or two myself while I worked a full-time job in perpetuity until Jesus came. That's how I saw myself. A blue-collar pastor, so to speak. Just a guy working a full-time job, making disciples, using the tools within my availability, trying to eke out a few guys that will go all the way for Jesus. And boom. I'm like, where did this come from? Now what do I do with that? And then Randy, and we got, I mean, we were just, praise God. But if you're not stable, if you're, you're not able, and if you're not able, you're not gonna, God's not going to be able to use you to go out and establish even a seed plant. You got to be stable to establish seed plants. That's that. These are proven men, trained men, not novices. These men, these are men who uh, are doing it at HBF and can be trusted to stay on mission no matter what the opposition and the discouragement. Some of the very same characteristics that we see Paul dealing with in Acts 16, you're going to experience those in the local church context in ministry for sure. You need that before you ever leave. These are men who understand and can steward the mysteries of God in the face of a Colossians chapter 2 deception. I mean, you've got to be able to hold fast to the faithful word, period, because Colossians chapter 2 is upon us. These are men uh, that, that understand and can be trusted to order the church because they understand how to keep rank, right? And, and they understand service. They understand our DNA. These are men who honor their bride and lead their families. Who can do it at home. That's not my standard. That's the word of God's standard. That's why Paul wrote the standards, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus as well. Point two, we want to see biblical fruit, not fads. I've listed the fads, I think, in your notes. These are just the fads that I've seen since uh, I've been a pastor. Back when I started, it was the emergent church, you know. And there's all, the, there's all these methodologies. And the beloved, you can name it. You can claim it. You can do whatever you want to do. At the end of the day, it's all about making disciples, from beginning to end, and, and and a church that will produce disciples that can go produce other churches, not just in their own culture, but also in cultures around the world, which is missions. Point three, we need teams who can support seed plants. You know, uh, just growing in church planting, it starts with joining a prayer team. You can do that. We talk about owning the mission. Now I want to bring it down to everybody. Rank and file, everybody in the room. There's nobody in this room that cannot be successful in praying for missions, Financially supporting missions and physically taking a trip. We got these trips lined up even here today. 
Just start where you're at. Get on an IGO team. Get on a prayer team. Get involved in the ministry. Just start where you're at. We need members that we can send. And as a seed uh, <clears throat> and church planters, they gotta be they got to be supported in prayer. In each of our church plants, we have sent 10 to 15 families in each in each one of those. The further away the church plant, the harder it is to send a seed team. So we'll have to prepare those teams before sending. And some of this is, is kind of long-range if the Lord tarries, but those are things that we need to continue to work on. We should be praying about strategic locations as well. And that boils down to where I started. Key men. Train men and women in our discipleship process. Key cities with strategic purpose. Being thoughtful about that. Whether it's Cedar Rapids, Iowa, St. Joe, Missouri, Columbia, Sedalia, Nevada, Des Moines, Omaha, St. Louis, Manhattan, North Kansas City. Doesn't matter. Dallas, New York, Chicago, Phoenix, L.A., Miami, Tampa. We got one there. Boston got one there, right? Minneapolis, Nashville, Washington, D.C. I will tell you, some of these cities, these key cities, like Washington, D.C., Boston, Tampa, I can, I can name others, L.A., you just go down the list. I mean, these are strategically key cities. They need not just a church plant. They need a team of church planters. They're that strategic. It's way bigger than Heartland. It's, it's way bigger than LFF. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a God-sized thing. We need to make as many disciples as possible to just accomplish the mission in front of us. The laborers are few, I think someone said yesterday. But the harvest is great. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest so they can send the key message to the gospel, the ordinances, the milk of the word, the meat of the word, the mysteries, the whole counsel of God's word. And in conclusion, I'm done. Man, let's just do what Brian taught us yesterday, right? Let's just surrender. You're like, man, Brian, this is way over my head. I'm not ready to plant a church. I'm not ready to plant a seed plant. I'm not asking everybody for that. This is just, I'm just sharing my heart. It's good for our church to hear this. I'm not going to probably get up on Sunday and preach it. And so, guys, we this is what we are. It's what we're doing. Let's surrender to what God's will is in the word of God. Let's submit to the authority of the local New Testament church, and let's serve God right where we are and trust God to, to get us to serve in other places. I am over time, so let's do this. Let's take a quick – I'm going to pray, take a quick break. We'll be back. Let's kind of try to get back at a quarter after, uh, and Sam Miles will be up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet. I pray a blessing on the reading and hearing the application of your word as we pray and we think about church planning and partnerships. We love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.